Acts chapter 16, we'll be doing verses 16 through 15. It just divides itself really nicely into these two different sections. Next week, the week after, as the Lord wills, we're going to be talking through, there's more spiritual warfare that takes place, and Paul, Silas, and his ministry team, they're going to get, well, they're going to get whooped pretty good in this next section, but there's going to be such beautiful fruit that comes from it. We're going to get to that. It'll be fun. But right now, we've got closed doors and open hearts is really kind of what we're going to be looking at this morning. Not a long section, but there's a lot to learn from it. And so as you guys read God's word, you spend time maybe in the morning in Devo's, these are words about a first century journey that took place in a part of the world most of us have never been to and never will go to. And yet it is so relevant and it is so important to us today because it's God's word. It's living, it's active, and it speaks to us right now. I just think it's fun. It's exciting to come together and do these things. Let's look at verses 6 and 7. We're going to pull some things out of here. It says, now when they had gone through Phrygia, you want to toss that colorful map up, similar to your shirt. It's a beautiful shirt. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after that, they had come to Mysia. They tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. We're just going to pause and consider why on earth would God forbid them from preaching the word to somebody, right? I don't know if that sounds weird to you. You'll notice on the right, okay, it'd be right-hand side for you guys. There's the green. You can kind of see Lystra. That's Galatia. You see Phrygia kind of going like this, and then you've got Asia. That's really Asia Minor. It's modern-day Turkey. And then they went to Mysia. You see Bithynia up, up on the front. Like They can't go there. There's another one, if you want to go to the other map, that has all of my beautiful handwriting on it. Okay, what are we looking at here? Well, let's figure this out, because I think it's instructive, I found. You see the scope of Paul's first missionary journey. And if you remember, in Acts chapter 15, Paul had just said, let's go back and let's see how everybody is doing. So that's what they did. Paul, Barnabas at the time, Silas is getting ready to come. They're like, let's go do this. There was a separation because Barnabas wanted to bring Mark, and Paul said, nope, not having it. So then Barnabas goes down to Cyprus. That's where he's from. They separated Paul. Barnabas and Mark go to Cyprus, and then Paul and Silas, they start heading up to go and see how everybody's doing. They eventually meet Timothy there in Lystra and Derby, that area, and they continue on. So you can see the scope of his first missionary journey. It's highlighted in the blue line that's there. What happens when you get to the end of that? Have you ever thought about, like, what did Paul think? Well, I've gone to all the churches that we've done, now what? And so you'll see these blue lines. Those are the lines of being led by the Spirit. (laughs) Like, what next? I don't know if you guys are there. Consider these things. As we look at God's Word, we're watching this take place in real time where Paul's trying to figure out what is next, Silas and Timothy as well, and then the rest of the crew that was with them. But this section is being led by the Spirit. They don't know what to do next. They don't have those instructions. And what we'll find is God said no to certain areas. What do you do when God says no and all you know is what not to do? What do you, where do you go from there? But Paul is going to be led by the Spirit. And sometimes that means no. And it's interesting. We're going to look at some questions and maybe handle some observations, but I want you guys to consider this 
You can keep it up. Well, no, I've got, a, I've got the stuff. Never mind. We'll have to lose the map for a second, but some observations about this. What do we learn from the Spirit forbidding Paul and Silas and Timothy to preach the word in Asia and then not permitting them to go into Bithynia? First thing to learn, or just observations, very, listen, this is very unimpressive, but just write it down. <laughs> Paul's being led by the Spirit. Sometimes, you guys, that can be a little bit of like a mystical, like what does that mean being led by the Spirit? I don't, it's not supposed to be. And we've dealt with, this isn't a mystical thing. Sometimes being led by the Spirit means you go to Cyprus because that's where Barnabas is from. Remember, we've talked about these things. That's where Barnabas, like, so go there, start there and see what God does. Afterwards, they went up to Antioch and Pisidia. Well, why'd they go there? Well, we think that Sergius Paulus, who got saved in Cyprus, that's where his family was from. Remember, there was a block of stone, and Sergius Paulus' name was carved into it. He probably had some land that he owned up there. And Sergius Paulus is like, Jesus is awesome. Will you guys go up and share it with my family? So Paul and Barnabas go up and do that. Nothing particularly difficult about that at all. You just, sometimes you just walk. Well, here we see Paul's being led by the Spirit. He comes to the end of what they felt like God had called them to do, and now it's question marks. Where do I go from here? Let the Spirit lead. All right, sounds great, but then what does that look like? How do I allow the Spirit to lead in my life? A few things, again, there's many others, but allow me just to roll through three things really quickly. The first one is you're guided by God's Word. That's the number one thing. Let his word guide you. His word will never contradict. Sorry, the spirit of God will never contradict the word of God. And vice versa. But this is our anchor. We have it written down right here. Where the spirit leads, you will not contradict. Now you can sit there and say, well, hold up. Because I don't see in scripture where it tells me to marry my wife. Where's that at? Or to marry, you know, your husband or whatever the situation is. No, those aren't sometimes not very specific instructions, but as you spend time in God's word, what you're doing is you're providing some like fertile soil for God to speak to you. And that there's places in his word, and we'll get to a scripture here later, that God used to confirm that this is indeed what he's doing. Well, how does that all work? Listen, Jesus said, my sheep will know my voice. He will speak to you and he will guide you. Remember, please, he loves you and he wants to lead you. And he wants to know you. Be led by the word of God. Two scriptures really quick. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, I look at that and think, that's true. <laughs> God's word's declaring it. But have you ever thought, to like, well, this is truth. It's his word. A lamp to my feet, illuminating where I'm supposed to go. A light to my path. It's like low beams and high beams, right? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So here's, pause for a second. Paul probably knew these scriptures. Remember, he's a Pharisee. He's a beast. He studied scripture. He memorized lots of scripture. And so he's considering these things. As he's like, what do we do next? Well, okay, the word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So the Lord speaks to me. You're just going to meditate on his word. I'm not going to meditate and clear my mind. I'm going to fill it with God's word. I'm going to allow him to speak. And so as I fill my mind with God's word, remembering what he's spoken, the Holy Spirit has some fodder for that fire to, to speak and to minister. Don't lean on your own understanding. 
In all of your ways, it says, and you know this, know him. Acknowledge him, but the word is yada, to know him. And it says he'll direct your path. So what can Paul do? How do you apply that to having a bunch of question marks in a mission field? All right, I want to know him. I was hanging out with my wife the other day. We do that from time to time. And in doing so, we were, I, was just, well, I was hugging her because we do that as well. And I'm looking out the, my glass door. I have a, like a sliding door. It's looking south. And I'm just out there, and we're just talking through things, you know. And I remember sitting there thinking, like, God, why is this, like, difficult? Like, why can't you just speak clearly and make it obvious what we're supposed to do? It would be nice. And here's the thing. He can, by the way. But sometimes he doesn't. I'm like, oh, man, it would just be really nice if you could just make it clear. Like, can I look out the sky and see it in the trees or maybe in the, I don't know, like, in the clouds? I'll take anything, you know? And it's like, come on, Lord. But here's the thing, and he just ministered even through this section of Scripture, like, he wants to draw me near to him. And so there are absolutely times when there's uncertainty and question marks. You guys know that. And why? (laughs) Because here's what's up. Maybe you need to pause Life needs to slow down for a second, and you need to really turn your attention to him. And he's so good and loves you so much that he might withhold speaking until you've really turned your attention to him. That's a gift, that God would allow you the space and time to make a decision to really turn to him. That's important, you guys. That's what he wants, a relationship. If you were able to just look out the sky and see things, you wouldn't need him. You might worship him in an interesting way, but what about that relationship? You guys, I'm telling you that's what he desires. He wants you to know him intimately and deeply. And as Paul's trying to figure this out, in all of your ways, know him, acknowledge him, he'll direct your paths. I think he's simply going to end up trusting that's indeed the case. And so I want to be led by the Spirit. The first thing, let the word of God guide you. Hold fast to it. Second thing, being guided by the calling of God and what he has asked of you to do. Okay, check it out. We'll look at it like this. In Acts chapter 9, Jesus is speaking to Ananias, who's like, I don't want to go talk to Paul because he's going to kill me. And Jesus is like, just do it. Ananias is like, okay. And so he goes, and this is the message that Jesus told Ananias to tell Paul. He's a chosen vessel of mine to go and bear my name before three things, Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. He says, I'm going to show him how many things he's got to suffer for my name's sake. Paul had a calling on his life. And one of those things that drove him was to share the gospel, children of, or Gentiles, kings, children of Israel. Those three things. Whom you guys, like, who have you guys been called to do or who to, to minister to? We've talked about it, but your community, your kids, your family, your grandkids, those in the workplace, you guys can fill the blanks in. That's who he's called you to. And so when I have these questions, question marks going on in my life, I go back to God's word. I go back to what have you called me to? And where does that fit within this? Well, Paul's like, I know you've called me to the Gentiles and to the kings and to the children of Israel. And so like, what's he doing? He's just continuing to walk, continuing to go. We're going to get that in a moment. But allowing that call to guide you. That's why you, it's so important like, to know that you know that God has called you to a particular thing, whether it's your work or whatever it might be. What has he called you to do? And let that be a way that which, in which God can lead you. One of many, but just consider that. 
And then the, sec- or the third part of one, whatever that even means, I was like looking at this last service, like who made these bullet points? They're awful. And then it was me, you know. I'm like, who did this? This is like number one, part three. <laughs> it's like discouraging. I'm only on point one, and I know it's discouraging for you guys. The third part of point one, <laughs> being guided by the burden of God. What is that burden? Todd shared a burden this morning. He has a burden that kids would know the truth and not get lost by the world. And the world can't come and lie to them. Let's get to them and let's share the truth with them. He has a burden that has guided him to be involved in a ministry called Awana so that he can actually help these kids know what is true. That's being kind of led by a burden. I have this. I want to do something. What do I do with it? Well, I'm going to be a part of Awana or whatever else it might be. The burden that God gives you is so important. The burden and the calling, and we oftentimes will throw in the idea of vision. How do I see this being worked out? We're going to get to vision in a second. Paul is being led by a calling of God. He's being led by a burden that God has given him, and eventually he'll be led by a vision as well. He said in 2 Corinthians 11, 28 is the verse I'll hit, but he's rolling through all the things that he's gone through, all the beatings, and in the country he's in peril, in the wilderness, in the city, All these things. He's just in peril. Everywhere he goes, people are trying to kill him. He's been stoned. He's had floggings and beatings by the Romans. All these things happen to him. And he finally wraps it up and says this. Besides the other things, what comes upon me every day. So all the beatings and all the persecution, there's that. But then he says, but then there's that which comes upon me every day. And that was my deep concern for all the churches. Or on his heart is Antioch and Lystra, and Derby, and the places he's visited, those people that he loves so dearly, he's burdened by them in the best of possible ways to follow after Jesus and the calling that God's given him. And so when we have question marks, we can kind of fall back to being led by the Spirit, the Word of God guiding, his calling can guide us, and then that burden that you sense on your heart, that can guide you as well, and maybe you also say constrain you into what he's called you to. Now, don't get discouraged. Yeah, I'm on only point two after having gone through four things, but I'm asking you to stay strong right now, okay? Because the rest of this will go fairly quickly. The second thing, and make sure you write this down because it's profound, Paul went, okay? <laughs> You notice as we go through here, verses 6 and 7, and eventually 8, we'll get to it. He just went. Like he didn't stop. He continued. There's something about it. Just maybe we can pause for a second and consider him not pausing. Think about it. He didn't idly sit around. There's two reasons why you might. I'm only coming up with two. There's lots more. Why might you just stop? I don't know where to go, and so I'm just going to stop. No, he didn't sit around idly. Proverbs 26, 13, this is what it says. says, the lazy man, he says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion in the streets. Well, what in the world does that have to do with this? Here's this lazy man in Proverbs saying, I'm not coming out of my house to go do work because, oh, there's a lion in the street, I heard. There's some danger out there maybe. I don't know. It's just a lazy man with lazy excuses. It's what your kids do when they don't want to clean their room. It's like, oh, it's like that's not even a real excuse. A lion in the street, you're fine. Get out of the house and go do something <laughs> useful. 
this is a lazy person, but it, it could be all wrapped up. You could call it fear. I'm afraid that something might happen if I step out in faith. What if this happens? And the what ifs and the fears come in. It holds you back. And I'm, what I'm suggesting is this, that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. He wants you to walk by faith. It's hard, undoubtedly. And is there certain times where you'll have to overcome fear and uncertainty? Yes, absolutely. Guess what? He is able to do that in and through his spirit and his grace. Rest and rely on him. There's also the idea of comfort. Proverbs 20 verse 4 says it like this. The lazy man will not plow because of winter. And he's going to beg during harvest and he'll have nothing. Well, why didn't he plow during winter? Well, because it's cold. You guys know that. You know what it's like when it's cold and dark out in Indiana. Miserable. Horrible. And you're in your bed and you're sleeping and your alarm clock goes off. My watch vibrates. I don't wake my wife up. And it vibrates and that, the dread of life comes over you. Right? Where you have to like, oh, you peel those covers and it's like, what on earth? Why do I live here in this place? <laughs> peel it off. And it takes like, it takes tremendous conviction of soul to get out of bed. It does. I know you guys know what I'm talking about. Like I, I very genuinely had to come under great conviction of God to get out of bed where I'm like, I'm not going to let my flesh dictate when I hang out with the Lord. And I open those covers and it's just, you guys know what I'm talking about. But that, I, all of it goes back to this, like the idea of comfort where why won't he get out of his house? It's cold. I don't want to get outside and work. Oh, man. Paul went. He continued on. He didn't stop because of fear. He didn't stop and just stay comfortable. It's just a word. Maybe we can apply it to our lives today. Hopefully it speaks to you as the Spirit would have it to minister to you guys. We just cannot be comfortable. If you want comfort, do not follow Jesus. You won't get it. And if you're really comfortable, oh, man, I don't know, maybe you're not following him as he's called you to. Just take that for what it's worth. I'm not being harsh at all. It's just something to consider. Jesus himself said it like this. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has no place to lay his head. If you want a comfortable pillow, Jesus is not the one to follow. So we just take inventory. You guys know this stuff. Praise the Lord for the luxury and the comfort we do have. It's not bad. It can though be a distraction, can't it? And so sometimes we've got to be stirred up. Lord, stir me up. I don't want to be comfortable. I don't want to just sit here and go on and live a small life for you. I want to live big. I want to follow you. If I'm afraid, help me conquer that. If I want to be in com- if I want to live in comfort, Lord, please show me what it's like to be stretched. Pray those prayers. So so that's point two A, because whoever wrote these things down is weird. Now I've got point two B. Why not just make them, why not just be a number three? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) B, (laughs) Paul went the wrong way. All right? Consider this for a second. There is a particular amount that you, of trust that you put into the Lord to direct your steps. In all of your ways, know him and he'll direct your steps. And so as Paul's moving about walking, you'll notice that Paul went the wrong way. Well, how do we know that? Look again to the scriptures. After they tried to go into Bithynia, that's in verse 7. They tried to go into Bithynia. The spirit said, no. 
All right, throw that one map of my, my handwriting on there real quick. And you guys just take a note. Again, this was taken from the Creation Museum, a picture I snapped. Do you see where it says verses 6 and 7? There's that. And you see this little green little offshoot going up towards Bithynia? Bithynia, sorry. I thought that was really neat because they read the scriptures. We tried to go up, but the Spirit said no. And so you'll notice that goes up and to nowhere. And then they just probably turned around and went back down. What was it like? I have no idea. But just somehow they knew this isn't where we're supposed to go. And so they stopped and they turned around and went back down. Maybe food for thought. I, this is just something I was considering. I believe that it's true. I think we are literally looking at it right here in Scripture. Steps of faith can go in the wrong direction. But then what do you do? Well, I just want to be faithful to abide in him and to hear from him and change direction when I need to. Is it possible to take the wrong, like to take steps of faith in the wrong direction? I'm just pointing out, we're looking at a place in scripture where that happens. Paul's walking by faith. He went up, tried to go, and it just wasn't right. It was the wrong direction. And so we go back down. Not a big deal. It isn't immoral or sinful to go in the wrong direction when you're walking by faith. So I'm not trying to be sloppy here because there's certainly times where you can begin to resist. Now, I think had Paul recognized the Spirit saying, don't go into Bithynia. And he's like, no, I'm just, and he's pushing. Well, then we get into what would be sin. But at the time, they're just trying to walk by faith. And all of a sudden, they're into it. And they realize, oh, this wasn't right. It's happened to me several times where I'm walking and trying to figure things out. And I take a step of faith, and it's not it. And sometimes those can be painful experiences. Should I have waited more? Should I have paused? Should I have, you know, whatever it is, you learn from those experiences. It's okay. It's okay. What does God want us to do? Once again, he draws us into himself to know him. Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and, I, and he heard my cry. He's faithful to speak. Proverbs 16, 3, commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. And then Psalm 37, 5 says nearly the same thing, but almost... They're almost the reverse. It's a cool section. Study these two together in tangent. It's a fun study. But as we commit ourselves to him, he'll speak. He's faithful to do that. We're reading it right here. It's just interesting, these, this like, don't go here. Why would, God per, not, why would God say don't preach the gospel in this certain area? Well, the only reason I can think is because he wanted Paul to preach the gospel in another area. And so he just said, no, don't go there. I have another place for you. Don't go down there. I got another place for you. And so there we go. Points three and four, super fast. Just observations. Paul obeyed. Don't go to Bithynia. He says, okay. And so he doesn't go to Bith Bithynia. That's simple. He obeyed and he trusted that God was leading him. And then the fourth thing is Paul continued moving. Meaning he just didn't stop and pause in that little no man's land in between Asia and Mysia and Bithynia. He just didn't stop. He just went back and he kept on moving. Just something to consider. Are there times when you just need to pause and slow down? Yeah, absolutely. I believe there's also times where you're sensing resistance and you just go back to what you do know, to that calling, the burden, where God has led you. Just consider these things and allow the Spirit to apply them to your lives. Going the wrong direction at first does not mean stop. It just means go back where you knew God was taking you. He's faithful to guide you. Just remember that. There are certainly times where we are going to know what not to do and we're going to know where not to go 
but that doesn't mean do nothing. <laughs> That's all. Go. Keep going. Keep listening to Jesus. Keep obeying. Keep enjoying him. Paul said it in Philippians 3 when he's talking about the call that God has put on his life. He says, I press on towards that call that he puts on my life. Like He says, Jesus grabbed a hold of me and said, do this. I have a purpose for your life. And Paul's like, so I'm pushing hard. I'm seeking after eagerly. I'm running after that calling that he's given me. I'm going hard after it. This is just instructive. Lord, help me to do that very thing. As he goes on, look what it says in verse 8. So passing by Mysia, you throw that map up there if you want. Grant, I appreciate it. They came down to Troas, and that'll be like right in the center top of your math, right underneath where it says Thrace. So they went down to Troas. Oh, man, how cool is the Lord? Do you guys kind of see, he says, don't go up and don't go down. So that gives them like, well, we're just going to go west. That's the only place he can go. We're just going to go west. There's a particular road there called the Via Ignacia that goes along this area. Well, it stops there near, it doesn't matter, but it eventually he'll pick it up again in, in Philippi. But there's a commerce way that they're taking, and they're traveling along this way, and you'll see in Troas, God got them to Troas. You guys with me? The Lord, the Holy Spirit got them to Troas. Didn't go into Bithynia, didn't go into Asia. God got them. There's a reason. Oh, it's so fun. Okay, check it out. Verse 9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. He had a calling. Paul had a burden, and guess what now? He's got a vision. God gave him a vision. Go over this direction and minister. Pleading, come to Macedonia. How do you know? Well, this seems pretty clear, and what's really fun about it is what happens in verse 10. See how they digest this. It says, now after he had seen the vision, so like the next morning they would have woken up, they're eating breakfast, and Paul's like, hey, Silas, Timothy, you wouldn't believe what happened last night, you know, and Anyway, they, concluding that the Lord called us to preach the gospel to them. We sought to go to Macedonia. A vision happened. They're in Troas. You'll notice Macedonia is to the left. They're in Europe, this area of, of like modern-day Europe and just Western culture, civilization, heading towards Rome. <clears throat> What's fun about it is this. The word there where it says concluding it's, well, it means concluding, but there's something deep about it. Check it out and study it on your own if, you're, if you want to have some fun. But it's this, well, I won't even read it, what the word is. Here's the definition. To cause a person to unite with one in a conclusion, to come to the same opinion. You might remember in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas, Menaean, Lucius of Cyrene, and I'm forgetting one dude. It doesn't matter, it's okay. Anyway, oh, there was Simon, who they called Niger. They're all hanging out, ministering to the Lord. And the Holy Spirit says, separate from me, Saul and Barnabas, for the work that I've prepared for them. And we just talked through, what's it like to sit there and minister to the Lord and to come to this conclusion like, I agree. I think the Lord is calling these guys out. And you're just able to confirm it. It's the same thing. They could have concluded that the Holy Spirit was saying these things. And so Paul, Silas, Timothy are all hanging out together. Paul shares his vision, and, there, and Silas is like, I'm there, Paul, I'm with you. I totally think the Lord's calling us to go over there. I don't know why, but I totally agree. It seems right. It seems good. 
Timothy confirming that, you know, and just as you're talking, you're doing this in community, you're sharing what God's doing and how he's speaking to you, God's words involved in it, the leading of the spirit. We see God can speak through visions. He actually promised that he would. They just are, they need to be sanctified by his word and we test all things, right? This vision was recognized as a clear sign from God that they were called to Macedonia. They all concluded this was, be, was to be the case. It seemed good to them. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 it says that uh, let the peace of God rule your heart. When I was wrestling through to get married to my wife, which happened 18 years ago today, by the way, we were kind of meditating through that. And that, <laughs> I guess. But we were meditating. What are we supposed to do? We're way too young to get married. But we really sensed the Lord calling us to that. And so we just, we sat through an open-handed God. Here you go. And I remember I called my pastor, Dave Kazee, and said, here's where we're at. And he, just, he brought me to Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of God rule your heart. There's many other ways, okay, but this was something that was so sweet. Where as we would sit, I don't know how to describe it other than, it's like, you know how it is. You take what it is, marrying my wife. Well, not my wife then, but it's my wife now. You know how it is. Marrying Kristen. I said it before him, and I'm like, Lord, what do you think about that? And as we wait on him, like, he'll speak to us. And he kind of gives it back to you. And it's like, yes, he confirms it. His word, like, we're just, we're open-handed with it. God, speak to me, please. He confirms these things, and there was peace. We knew that, something like only the Lord can give. And so we want that peace. I want to be tied to that peace. And this is something that I think they had there. Would you also notice something so vitally important about verse 10? It's easy to pass by, but it's tremendously significant. Now, after he, that's Paul, had seen the vision, immediately, what's it say? We. Isn't that interesting? What happens? Well, like, if anybody knows English better than me, that means that we have, like, that's kind of like a first person or second person thing. Sought to go, thank you for confirming that. They sought to go to Macedonia, concluding the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Who do we have now? Paul and Luke met in Troas. And now, for whatever reason, I don't know if Luke got saved by Paul, Silas and Timothy hanging out together, but we have now a beast for the faith of Jesus named Luke, a doctor. If Paul had resisted the spirit and gone into Bithynia, he wouldn't have met Luke. If he would have gone down into Asia, he wouldn't have met Luke. But the Lord is so good, he's so faithful and sovereign to just guide Paul to meet this guy named Luke in Troas, who just so happens to be a doctor, super smart, well-educated, and able to also probably attend to Paul's medical needs that he had. He knows things, he's a Greek, all the, everything that Luke is meets him here. So now we've got Paul hanging out with Luke. Luke is going to be introduced to Peter. John, James is dead, Philip, Andrew, all the apostles. Can you imagine had they not met Luke, we wouldn't be having a Bible study right now. We wouldn't have the book of Luke, the details and the kind of history that Luke wrote. Maybe we wouldn't have it, but we do because well, Paul allowed the Spirit to lead him. And he obeyed and he waited and all these different things. But what's happening for Paul right now is that God is sending him further and further away from home and further away from the people of Israel. 
But again, guys, is this hard? Yeah, probably, but he's called to the Gentiles. And as hard as it might have been, he's going to obey. It's worth it to follow him. It Literally what he's experiencing is a full send of what God has called him to. I'm going for it. I'm not looking back. It's kind of like, oh, I want to go back to Israel to my people. But God's calling him into the heart of the Gentile world. Up to this point, you guys, everywhere he's been, except I think a derby maybe, he's gone into a city and he's gone to a synagogue. Just a spot that he knows. It's safe and comfortable. Well, guess what? Let's read it. He goes we, from sailing to Troas. We ran a straight course to Samothrace. You can throw that map up there so people can look at not me. The next day we came to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, from the, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia. It's a colony. It's important. And we were staying in that city for some days. They go over there and they're in Philippi. Again, a really important road that went through there called the Via Ignacia. And it was like a modern day, it would be the modern day equivalent of an interstate highway, that all this commerce that Rome had built, a really sweet highway system. Philippi was a colony, which means it was like, it was a Roman city, but not in Rome. It would have looked like Rome and smelled like Rome. They had a gymnasium. They would have learned Roman things, probably spoke Latin when they were there to, do, to a degree. It was Rome. Rome would take these and plant them on the frontier of their empires so that their expansion and influence could just be felt in a greater way. What they would do is they would say, hey, old retired veterans, will you guys go out to Philippi? We'll give you a plot of land. You can live tax-free for the rest of your life. Just be a Roman in Philippi. And that's how they would go and just kind of establish their presence and authority in certain places. It's providing colonies. There was a garrison of troops but it would, have been, it would have been Rome. Tons of commerce would have taken place there. The center of a lot of different cultures would have gone there. But there's no synagogue. You'll notice what happens. On the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside. It's kind of the first time we hear about it. He's not in a synagogue, but there was prayer customarily made there. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. In order for a city to have a synagogue, you had to have 10 Jewish men. And so apparently there was a very small Jewish presence here, so small there was not even a synagogue. Hey, you think Paul's uncomfortable? You think there's some fear? Where do I go? What are we supposed to do? We don't know anyone. They've, not, they've never stepped foot on this part of the world, perhaps. They're into a brand new Roman colony. But we hear there's prayer. Oh, hey, there's that picture. Do that thing. Yeah, throw that picture up there. This is exactly, no, not that one. Put the river. <laughs> We're going to get to that. I need time to slow down, by the way. Can you guys start praying? This is, you know, like where Paul would have been. It's actually the river in Philippi where prayer was customarily made. How about that? And apparently it is in the wintertime or fall at least. Anyway, Paul gets there and they go down to this place and they were praying, hanging out. And they meet somebody. Look at this in verse 14. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. They're hanging out. It's just the ladies. It's kind of, that's what they have. This is, there's a lot of significance there. We won't get into all of it because of time. But the faithfulness that Paul just went, where is their spiritual things happening? There, that's where they were. Went down to this place Okay, and they meet Lydia, and Lydia is important. And I'm going to explain why very quickly. 
Lydia, as you'll see, was a seller of purple. Now, you're going to learn way too much about purple right now. But because I did, and so you're held captive right now. You're welcome to leave whenever you want, by the way, but it's important. And I want you to know that the word of God is so cool. And the reason why, like you have Luke, such a good historian, writing down significant details. There's a reason why she was noted as being a seller of purple. In the ancient world, you had this stuff called Tyrian purple. And it was, it was so hard to get. I'll explain the process very briefly. It was so hard to get. One pound of Tyrian purple was worth three pounds of gold. That is how hard it was to get. Only the most elite, wealthy people would have it. Now, why does that matter? Paul is now interacting with a woman, probably a widow, by the way, who owns a house, who has a family business, perhaps back in Thyatira, which was a textile center of that region at the time, where they have a family business that makes these things. She's up in Philippi. Why? Well, because it's a Roman colony. You're going to get some good business in Philippi. Savvy business person. She's doing her thing. Guess who she knows? I don't know either, but you can just maybe think about it. She's selling things to the richest people in the land. Power, influence. She knows people. The network, right, that you have as business people. She has, this is who Paul brings her to. He's threading that needle. Don't go to Bithynia. Don't go to Asia. I want you to go to Troas. And then from there, I want you to go to Philippi. And he happens to direct him to a spot by a river where people pray. And here's this woman, wouldn't you know, who has tremendous resources and a network of people because Paul doesn't know what to do perhaps at the time. These people would have to take this, go throw that one up there, that conch shell thing. It's a, these are mollusks or however you say it. There's 110 different species of mollusk in the Mediterranean Ocean sea thing. Only three produce this dye, and you have to crack it real, real carefully, and then there's this little bitty gland, and you pop the gland off, and that gland has one single drop of dye. And it's not even purple. It's only purple after it's been exposed to so much sunlight. They have to get this perfect pH balance. They have to dry it out. It's unbelievable, the process. Look it up. It's fascinating. The science and the chemistry and all this was lost to us. When the Byzantine Empire fell, all this science kind of went away. And they are just now figuring out how they used to make Tyrian purple. It's such a difficult process. It requires so much time and effort and like the knowledge of how to do these things. It's unbelievable. It's a fascinating thing to study. I walk, my wife walked into my office and like saw a video about this dude like scraping this glass. And, what are you watching? And it's like, it's Tyrian purple. How cool is that? <laughs> Lydia was this family business, all these things. She knows people. Throw the coin up there just as a neat little way of showing how much it would have mattered. This is a Roman coin from the time. I don't know what the top thing represents. It's trees. Below that is Hercules' dog. And then to the right of it is a murex shell, a mollusk, because of how important they were to Roman society. If you had Tyrian purple, you were very important and very special. Lydia knows these people. You guys understand how cool that is? She knows these people the network, and all that she had. And here God is so faithful to direct him right down to that, to her. She is a person of peace. God provided that relational thing. It was a catalyst for further ministry. 
that Paul had right there, all because he was being led by the Spirit, you know? You just never know who you might meet when you're faithful to obey him, when you're faithful to enjoy him. Paul and his crew would have learned from Lydia the customs of Philippi, what regions to go to, who to speak with. As they're walking around Philippi, Lydia's leading them or whatever it is, and she's introducing Paul to all the different people. How important is that to the establishment of a new community of faith? If you're a church planner, you want Lydia. You're praying, God, give me Lydia's. I need more Lydia's in my life. People that we can connect with who will just expose us to a network where God can do his thing and introduce us to people. We need that. It's all for God's glory. Jesus being exalted. I'm ending with this, and I'm actually really ending very soon. John 3.14, Jesus said, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, remember that, he pulls that serpent up. He says, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus referring to himself and the cross, he must be lifted up. He'll go on to say in John chapter 12, and if I am, and he says this, if I am lifted up from the earth, it's a reference to the cross, he says, I'll draw all people to myself. Jesus, the work of the cross, draws people to himself. Let me say it like this, Jesus is attractive. The grace and the mercy that he gives us, like people are hungry and desperate for the message just like that. I'm not suggesting, well, listen, yes, the gospel's offensive. It's death to people who are not going and following him, but to those who are, it is the fragrance of life. Jesus will draw people to himself. What are we supposed to do? Lift him up. Let him be seen in and through your life. The fruit of the Spirit. I do not want people to see me. What a letdown. Or you, as great as you are, Let people see him. If I'm lifted up, I would draw people to myself. That's what we get to do, is lift him up. So I want to encourage you with that, that God is at work. You guys can go ahead and come up and I'll be done. Follow him. Enjoy him. Let him lead and guide you. He does incredible things, fun things. You never know what God is doing. Allow his spirit to lead you. Allow the word of God to anchor you, so on and so forth. 